This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. I hope everyone got a uh, paper tonight. I found that found this today, and I I thought thought about. It. I said this is a good thing. I'm teaching on David, and this will give you a good timeline of his life. Kind of let you know where we're at as we go along here. Some of the things that are happening. And uh, if let's let's look at that paper for just a minute. As you can see over on the left, you have the 1041 to 1040 BC, and it goes down to 971, 970 BC. So we start off with David, of course, born to Jesse of the tribe of Judah. He was the youngest of eight sons, and we talked about him being anointed king by Samuel when he was just really young. A little bit later on, he killed Goliath the Philistine. And then after that, he was a musician for King Saul. We talked about that evil spirit that King Saul had and how that David came in and played. Now you see the little paragraph in there. We do not know how old David was when he was anointed king or when he killed Goliath or did most of the other things in his life. We do know he was younger. The only age stated is that he was 30 years old when he became king in Hebron, 2 Samuel 5.4. And he ruled there for seven and a half years, but then he was made king over Israel as well. And so 37 to 38 years old, made king over Israel, during that time, and this is where we're talking about him tonight as king, of course, conquering Jerusalem. He makes plans to build a temple. God gave him special promises, but of course, we know Solomon built the temple. He marries Bathsheba after killing her husband, Uriah. Solomon is born. Absalom had rebellion. And then he appoints Solomon king after Adonijah tried to make himself king, and he died after reigning 40 years. And you see on the right of that paper, David lived for 70 years. King Saul, 40 years, we find that. And then we'll talk about Ishbosheth and David, 33 years over Israel and Judah, and then Solomon. 40 years. So, gives you a good timeline of what's going to happen, what's going on with David, and some of the, a lot of things in between there that took place. And we certainly can't cover all the scriptures uh, that were things that happened with David, but we'll cover some things that I think are important that we can learn from as well. So, we thank you for tuning in tonight. I know it's hard to not look at Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and tune us in, but I'm glad you did. And uh, this will be more profitable to you than that will. They'll put 2 Samuel chapter 1 on the screen and we'll begin at verse number 1. Of course, before David can rule as king, we have to kill Saul off. And we have to see what's going to happen there in that particular circumstance. <clears throat> so we look at the Scriptures that came to pass after the death of Saul that David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. 
And it came to pass on the third day that behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. So he's a strange looking fellow. He don't have no clothes on. He got dirt on his head. And so it was when he came to David, he fell to the earth and did obeisance. That means he bowed down flat to the ground to him. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. David said unto him, How went the matter, I pray thee? Tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead. And here was the bad news. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. You know, you remember last week how, we, how David had to flee from Saul? Remember how Saul wanted to take his life? Saul was after him, made his life miserable. Wouldn't you think when he got this news right here, he'd jump up and down for joy and say, praise the Lord. No longer I have to deal with Saul. No. That wasn't the case all along. We found out last week that even though David knew this was going on in Saul's heart and mind against him, David still had an appreciation for the anointed one from, from the Lord. And he did that all the way. And I think at the end of last week, we kind of saw Saul realizing how he's been. And I think that spirit left him. And I think he confessed and he repented to David. And I don't believe he bothered him anymore. But here he is finding out that he, he's dead. And we haven't got time to get into Jonathan. That's a whole other uh, story how David loved Jonathan and they were, they were just great pals together. But, but certainly to hear both of them dead. David said unto the young man, verse 5, that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Why did Saul do that? And what does that mean all of a sudden? That means a while he was in battle, and we know that the archers had shot arrows, and they had pierced Saul's body. And so Saul was on the way to dying, but he wasn't dead yet. And because he wasn't dead yet, being a king, he did not want to die a humiliating death at the hands of an enemy. So what he did in this particular situation was ask this young man, and you'll find out, to finish it off. And the young man told him as it happened, Verse 7, when he looked behind him, he saw me, that's meaning Saul, and called unto me, and I answered, here am I. And he said unto me, who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So even with the arrows in him, he's not dead yet. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. 
Then David took hold on the clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. That was a symbol back in that day of something when you got devastating news that really it would be like us hearing news of one of our loved ones dying and how we, we act when that happens. And, and this was what they would do. This would show how he feels about this news that he has, has gotten. In verse 12, they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan and his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Now, you may not understand what David is going to do from this point on. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thy hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? How did you come up with enough courage? How did you decide that you were going to be the one to take Saul's life. And once again, he calls him the Lord's anointed. And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented over this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Kind of a strange thing for him to do. This man did the request of Saul. Saul wanted him to do. But when David's getting this news and he's hearing what he did, how he did it, and so forth and so on, he just feels like he should have told Saul, hey, I'm... I'm I'm not worthy to, to, to slay you. You're the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to do that. You know, it, it is a strange thing. What, what in the world would we do in that situation, I, I wonder? But David felt like he needed to do what he needed to do. And he, he did take care of, of that. So, King Saul was killed. David tore his clothes, wept, mourned, fasted. David totally respected Saul as the anointed king. He wasn't shouting and rejoicing because he was dead. And I think we covered this lesson once again already. David did not hold a grudge against Saul. And what a lesson for us to learn. It does no good for us to hold grudges in our life. People do us wrong, no doubt about it. You know, and but the Lord, the, the Lord speaks in the Bible over and over again how we ought to forgive, love the enemy, pray for them, so forth and so on. So we learn that lesson about a grudge. David had known already for many years that he was going to be the next king. He knew that, but never did he walk around saying, "Saul, you know what." I'm going to be in your shoes real shortly. You better look out. He, he didn't do that. He just knew. And he just waited. He just did as the Lord directed him in his life till he got to this timeline here. 
of where he's going to be king. He had been anointed by Samuel. So the, the thing was that David did not become king over Israel right away. He became king over the tribe of Judah first. Then later, he was declared king over Israel. Now, look back at your timeline paper again and notice that little name, Ishbosheth, there. Strange thing. Who was Ishbosheth? That was one of Saul's sons. So you would certainly think that Saul's son would take the place of a king. He'd fall into that category. And he did. But it was very short reign because it wasn't meant to be. Only two years did he serve as that king. He was murdered, and it wasn't by David, but he was murdered and uh, taken care of. So with him out of the way, we find that David, not only on your timeline seven and a half years over Judah, but then he would end up being king over all of Israel. And then he would start to do some things as king. Did everything go smoothly for David because he was going to be king? No. Did David make a lot of mistakes? He does make some mistakes. Some bad mistakes. He's, he's human just like all of us. But what did David do? Soon after he had conquered Jerusalem, because Jerusalem had been taken captive, but he went back and conquered Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And he made Jerusalem his capital city. And then the Ark of the Covenant, which you of course know of and heard of, it was not in Jerusalem. So David had to, he said, I'm going to go down. Once I capture Jerusalem, get that back again. I'm going to go down. The Ark was in Judah. I'm going to get it out of Judah, bring it back to Zion or sometimes called the city of David, bring it back to Jerusalem and that's where it would stay. So he ordered the Ark of the Covenant brought uh, this way. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, we talk, we'll talk a little bit about it. Do you know the pieces of the furniture that belong to the tabernacle? The Ark of the Covenant was one of those pieces of furniture that were in there. You can... You can go back in the Bible and study and look at the words. We've read them on Wednesday night as we was coming through there. The candlestick or the menorah in there, the altar of incense in there, the table of showbreads in there, and the copper basin, the copper altar in there. All of these were pieces of furniture that were in the tabernacle. Now the Ark of the Covenant was probably the greatest piece of furniture. It's a chest made of wood overlaid with gold. What's inside the Ark of the Covenant? Ten Commandments. Golden pot of manna. Aaron's rod that budded. Those were the things inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Where was it to be kept? In the most holy place of the tabernacle. How about was it to be handled? Human hands were not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Let's look at Numbers chapter 4 and verse number 15. When Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, 
as the camp is set forward, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. You can imagine the weight, the load, that's what that burden means. That was their, that was their burden. To carry the load, to carry that, that ark. And boy, I wouldn't have been too happy about that, having that job. You're not supposed to touch it. I certainly wouldn't want to. But they had the staves on each side and they were to grab a hold of those staves, not, not the ark itself, to grab a hold of those staves when they were to carry it. So with the clear instructions that we have here from the Lord, as they are to carry it from place to place, they were to be carried by those poles. So when David decided to move this sacred ark of the covenant, he hauled it up to Jerusalem and he put it on a cart to do that. That's fine as long as they're still not touching it. But what happens when you put something on a cart and you go down those type of roads that are over there with all the rocky and ruts and everything that's going on, that cart is, is doing all kinds of rumbling back and forth and wiggling back and forth. And, and as they begin to, to do that, at one point the ox stumbled and Uzziah saw that the ark was sliding over or maybe going to fall off that cart. So him thinking he'd doing a good thing, he reached out and steadied that ark to keep it from falling. And immediately he died. He said, boy, that, that's pretty rough. But the thing we have to always go back and remember is that when God had put the Word out about something, he wasn't joking about it. So even though he seemed like a good deed, he still disobeyed. Disobeyed God. You know, it's like today, maybe we feel like there's something that, that we need to step in and do. But you know what? We better make sure we're still lining up with God's Word. We're not doing something that we feel like we just want to do. Because it's very important to obey what the Lord says in His Word. And so, he died. Second Samuel, look at chapter 6 and two verses there. Those 6 and 7. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah and God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. So, I believe today we need to realize, even though we, don't, we live in a day, as I said earlier, we're living in the day of grace, and God doesn't strike us with lightning, but certainly He, he takes note when we disobey His Word. And I don't believe we receive the blessings we should receive if we're not doing what God's command us to do. So, like the pastor was preaching about that judgment day is coming. Certainly we'll answer for things that we don't do according to what the Lord wants us to had set, set up for us to do. So let's look at the rest of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 8. 
David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzziah. What's that mean? David didn't like it. When he saw God strike Uzziah dead, David didn't like that. He felt like that was an outburst of wrath from God. That's what that breach means. He called the name of the place Perezziah to this day. That name he gave that signifies the breach of Uzziah. But it was because he disobeyed. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obadam the Gittite. How would you like to have the ark come into your house? I mean, you already didn't heard the news about somebody touching it and dying. And you're probably thinking, oh boy. But then on the other hand, that brought the blessings of God to that house too. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obadam the Gittite three months. And look, the Lord blessed Obadam and all of his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obadam and all that pertaineth unto him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadim into the city of David with gladness. So David's thinking about this thing and saying, well, you know what? I was scared of it too. But now I've heard God's blessing because the ark is in his house. And I want some of those blessings in my own house. So he said, I'm going to go get it and bring it up here. And so it was, that when they bare the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Isn't that something? Six steps and stop and make a sacrifice. David ain't taking no chances. <laughs> we'll go six more and we'll make another sacrifice. Boy, it must have taken a while to get that up there. So what happened? David's excited. In verse 14, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. He was like Sister Maxine back there. She, she loves to get excited back there. And she don't let that pew hold her down. And she gets up and dances, but you know what? She doesn't dance, I believe, for any reason but before the Lord. I believe it's a genuine. So if you're going to get up and dance, I hope you're doing it in the Spirit. Amen? <laughs> hope you're doing it in the right reason. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of trumpet. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Now, Micah, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Not everyone's happy about it. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, 
as well to the women and as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, every one into his own house. So he, he provided a, a little meal for everyone. David returned to bless his household and, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. Remember, he played that harp, the great great musician. And the dancing that he did was before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus and will base in mine own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. What was the consequence of her lashing out against David? Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. So David was content to justify himself and what he had done. And the rude, disrespectful behavior of, of Michael, the daughter here, God punished her. I believe this, those that honor God, He will honor them. But those that despise Him and His servants and His service, they will be chastised. So another great lesson here for us to learn. In all that we do, we should try to honor God. Maybe we can sit back and think about something we are attempting to do and we're thinking, will this bring honor to God? Or will it not? Will it bring shame to God? Will it hurt someone else? Will it give the wrong message to someone else in what I'm doing? Or am I doing it for God's glory? To those that honor God, God will honor them. And it's a shame today there's a lot of folks that despise even the very work of God. They despise you as a Christian. If you attempt to Share Christ with Him. You'll be despised many times. Ostracized. Don't want anything else to do with you. We, we don't need you around here if you're going to do that. And so, there's a time coming they will answer for that. But John 5.23 says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which had sent Him. So we must honor the Lord Savior Jesus Christ and in doing that we honor the Father as well. You know, this, this thing about disobedience is handled different ways in different times many times. God sometimes will punish disobedience right away. But sometimes he, he lets that go on for a while to see if we're going to get things right. We're going to do things. But sometimes he gets our attention real quickly. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, I know you're familiar with the story, but I want to look at it tonight. I know we, time's getting away. 
But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being private to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Sold a piece of property and them two together got together and said, okay, we made this amount on it, but we're only going to give this amount and we're going to keep the other part. Peter said unto Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? See, the Holy Ghost gave that to Peter to know, that discernment to know what they had did. And keep back part of the price of the land. While it remaineth, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? And thou hast not lied unto men, but she lied unto God. You know, we, we, we don't think about that many times. We think if we, we lie to a person, but as a child of God, we're not really lying unto them. We're lying to God. Because He knows what we've come up with. Notice what He said. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. The young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. It was a space of a three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Isn't that remarkable? He gave her an opportunity to make it right. You know, I don't know what your, my husband told you, and I'm pretty sure what, what I, we, we agreed on, but hey, I'm going to tell you the truth. No, that didn't take place. Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth and buried her by her husband. And no wonder, verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon many has heard these things. I bet you they begin to do a little soul searching right there. Boy, I'm going to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Or else something may come of me. It's always dangerous to tamper with sacred things the Lord has told us to do. Even, even communion, isn't it? We, we, we've heard the Scriptures over and over again. It's dangerous to take communion unworthily. Well, We'll answer for that if we do that. Even doing things by methods not sanctioned by the Scriptures. Well, this, this man I heard on the radio, he's supposed to be a preacher, and he told me that you know I should do these things. Is that lining up with the Bible? Are you sure that's what God wants us to do? So we need to be careful about that. Remember what Revelation 22.18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And Revelation 22.19, if any man take away from the words of the book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. God's serious about that. I believe that. Woe unto people that are adding to the Word of God and that are reaching in there and saying these Scriptures don't mean anything today. Let's do away with them. 
They're going to answer for those things because it's leading people astray. So during the time of David, he's ruling over Israel. He does demonstrate great wisdom, great justice in dealing with people. He probably stands out as one of the greatest political, spiritual leaders in Old Testament history, even though he failed in many areas of his life. Just like we do, but God still loved him. And God took his repentance when he offered it and accepted that, I believe. So, once again, we'll continue on with David, see what happens as he's in his life as we go along. But I believe we learned some great lessons today from David as king. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.